Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. A little while ago, we had a whole conversation with two folks from the Calgary Climate Hub about a project that they were pursuing in regards to making uh, sure that NMAX reduces its carbon footprint and pursues net zero. Now, when we had the conversation, it seemed like the, the progress had become a little bit uh, challenging. Um, we understand there's been a bit of an update, so we're extremely excited to welcome back the same people that we had from before to talk a little bit more about the uh, the the progress that the Calgary Climate Hub has accomplished. So, Joe, Robert, welcome back to the show. Thank Thanks for having us on. This is uh, really exciting to, to be able to have a victory un under our belts. So before we get into the victory, I just want to, if one of you gentlemen don't mind providing a little bit of background in regards to what the Calgary Climate Hub is, as well as uh, what it was that you were pursuing. Yeah, why don't I talk about the hub, and Rob, you can take on the, the NMAX. Um, the Calgary Climate Hub uh, is an effort to get more Calgarian citizens advocating for better climate policies within the city of Calgary. And we've been in existence for a few years. We're a nonprofit uh, aiming to achieve our charitable status. And um, it's predominantly volunteer run. We do have a couple of contractors that work with us. Um, but generally, it's, it's this idea that we're going to build, you know, um, forgive the, the military metaphor, but an army of people who care about climate to push for better climate policies. So we do uh, online events. We do, um, we're, we're pretty much at every uh, city council meeting that requires discussion of climate issues. Um, we create policy papers. And we work, work with other organizations to, to push things forward and, and uh, generally cause climate mayhem. Awesome. Well, nothing wrong with a little bit of mayhem these days. Uh, and Robert, could you tell us a little bit more about the, the NMAX piece? For sure. Yeah. So I think um, Joe um, kind of was the initial um, conceiver of sort of the NMAX campaign at the hub. And uh, I think so he had been working on it for a couple months before I got involved. So I got involved in like July last year, I think maybe June. And um, basically the campaign started off with uh, an op-ed that we had in the Calgary Herald, um, which basically called on MX to set a net zero by 2050 target and just kind of outlined how, you know, lots of businesses are moving this way. Um, even like a year ago, two years ago, it was pretty common, but now it's become like really ubiquitous. Like we saw um, with the oil sands um, coalition for net zero 2050. So it's really branched out quite a bit. Um, so after that, we released that op-ed, we kind of, we had a couple meetings with NMAX kind of through summer and fall 2020. Um, and th they were good um, kind of cordial meetings, but we didn't really make a lot of progress on where NMAX was going to go on net zero. So then we kind of took a step back and said, you know, well, what else can we do um, to try to get this moving forward? And um, we decided to try um, an open letter campaign. And I think that's where um, kind of we initially connected on it, um, Nate, with the breakdown. So I yeah. think I'd sent it out to you and just like, hey, like, would you consider supporting this? And you're like, I'll do one better. Like, let's let's do a breakdown episode on it. So we pursued the open letter campaign. Um, we got roughly, I think, 350 signatures. And then we published it um, to NMAX. And then we sent it out as a news release. And we got a couple stories out of that, um, which was good. And then kind of in parallel with that open letter campaign, we also um, pursued a strategy of uh, just reaching out to councillors directly. So NMAX is um, municipally owned utilities. So the sole, her sole, her sole shareholder is the city of Calgary. 
So, and the representatives from the city of Calgary are city council. So we um, knew that EdMax uh, has kind of an annual um, meeting with council um, kind of, I think the end of quarter one or for, basically annual. So um, we started reaching out to them um, in parallel and basically just saying, hey, like this is a campaign we're pursuing. Could you ask them about that at, at your private meeting? So they did that, that as well. And through those meetings with counselors, we also found out that NMAX was preparing um, an ESG strategy document. So after the, after the meeting with counselors and after um, we published the open letter, we had another meeting with NMAX um, where we um, found out from NMAX for the first time that they were releasing this ESG strategy. Um, and we just kind of said to them, hey, like, you know, we think uh, we've been advocating that you take on a net zero target. We'd really like to see this from you. And they um, said, you know, we're considering it, but we can't, we can't say whether we are or are not going to um, put it in our ESG strategy. It's our internal process to just develop it and then release it. We were like, okay, fair enough. Um, and then I'm just trying to think how to fit this into the whole story as well. So I guess as well at that time, we... Um, the hub um, is part of an organization called Calgary Alliance for the Common Good, um, where they're a member organization of that. So they have their own uh, environmental action team. And so we engaged them and we got um, the Alliance, which is uh, an organization just of a bunch of organizations. So a lot of churches, I think, but also including the hub and other organizations. And they endorsed the campaign as well and sent letters to the CEO. And I guess, I'm not sure if that was the most clear um, explanation of it, but um, through all of that, I guess, culminated in they released their ESG strategy and it included a net zero by 2050 targeted. Okay. So what does that mean exactly, net zero by 2050? Pretend that I don't know anything about climate or numbers or years. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, for NMAX, um, they own a bunch of electricity infrastructure, right? So they own um, generation plants, like uh, natural gas generation plants. So that basically, it's like a plane engine, but it sits on the ground. And instead of powering a plane, it just turns that into electricity. So basically, they have these all of these um, plane engines that are sitting on the ground um, generating electricity, but they also generate um, carbon emissions. So what we want them to do is to say, hey, we either want all of your assets to be um, they don't generate carbon in the first place. So, you know, get rid of these um, natural gas plants and turn them into solar facilities, wind facilities, or figure out a way to mitigate those emissions, um, either with carbon capture, um, could be um, eventually with offsets as well. But um, yeah, that basically just means that on net, there's no net emissions um, coming out, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and I'd say like, we, effectively what we're asking for is for them to just generate 100% zero carbon electricity. Okay. What sort of, like, one of the, the questions that I know always comes up during one of the, these types of conversations is you have company X who says, um, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to take care of it. And then nothing changes. Have, have they provided any sort of assurances or any... Uh, metrics or measures that they're going to be using to make sure they get to that target by 2050? Yeah, so they did do some interim targets. And what's fascinating is they actually kind of beat our what we were recommending. So we were recommending a decrease of 50% by 2030. And they, they beat us by saying 70% by 2030. But they kind of did a little trick. 
because what we were doing is the saying that they should do it by their 2016, uh, you know, from their 2016 uh, emissions and they picked their 2015 emissions instead. So why would that make a huge difference? Well, between 2015 and 2016, they closed the vast majority of their coal assets. And um, you may remember that coal is the dirtiest uh, uh, of the electricity sources. And so their emissions were really, really bad in 2015. And they actually had a full 65% reduction of all their emissions in that 12 month period, which means that compared to today, um, the difference with their target between today and 2030 is only a 5% reduction. So a little bit of sleight of hand there. 25% um, uh, reduction in nine years isn't, isn't particularly uh, much, especially in, a, in an era where we have accelerating climate change. Mm -hmm. But they have committed to going net zero by 2050. Have they provided a, a pathway other than creative accounting uh, in order to get there that you're aware of? Some of the not not a, go sorry go ahead Joe. Some of the good things between now and then is they're going to make their electricity their sorry their vehicle fleet 100% electric vehicle. So that's exciting. We're really thrilled by that and they're going to be uh, doing net zero for all their buildings by 2030. So those are the two most concrete promises that we've gotten out of them. Both mm -hmm. good things. De those are definitely good things. Um, I think the fleet electrification is really exciting for sure. Um, on the flip side though, so 99% of NMAX's emissions do come from their electricity assets and not their other assets like their buildings or vehicles. So um, given that uh, with the 5% target, they may not need to do necessarily a lot more with their electricity assets to meet their, their 2030 target. Um, as far as their 2050 target, I don't, I don't remember seeing um, really co a concrete plan. And I'm not sure if it would necessarily make sense for them to have a concrete plan all the way out to 2050. Like what we would prefer, um, I think, is to see a stronger 2030 target and then have a concrete plan to, to meet that. Um, okay. with, the, with the radical decrease in, in renewable energy prices in the last few years, mm -hmm. you can imagine that whatever plan by anybody that would have been announced in 2015 um, would be thrown out the window by 2021. I mean, things have just changed so dramatically Absolutely. on that yeah. front. And there's no reason to suspect that that technological investment and advancement won't just accelerate um, as the climate crisis uh, puts the, the um, screws on the, the thumbs of, of society. Well, uh, congratulations, I guess, are in order. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, congratulations, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what's, uh, what role is the hub going to have um, sort of monitoring? Are you, are you guys going to be keeping an eye on this? Or are you, are you just going to uh, let them do their thing and, and hope for the best? Or what's the, what's the plan for, for the relationship between the hub and NMAX going forward? That's the question that we have for NMAX. We'll be asking that at their AGM that is coming up on Tuesday. Um, the reality, it's a funny situation because, Nate, one of the things you'll see is that a lot of the companies that have already announced net zero, NMAX is kind of late to the party, but, you know, Capital Power, Transalta, Atco, um, uh, a lot of the oil sands companies have all previously announced this. And why would NMAX be late to the party? And probably the predominant reason is, is that it's a municipally owned corporation. And the, the, that shareholder that, you know, the city of Calgary, never really put any pressure on NMAX to do this. The 
Whereas all those other companies, they're, I'm sure they're having major shareholders knocking on their door saying, hey, uh, clean up your, your act or we're pulling our money. Um, we didn't see similar pressure on, on NMAX to do so. So I think it's a, you know, a, a fundamental issue with the way that, that NMAX is structured. And we would love to see some way that NMAX um, is held to account, whether that's through the hub or through city council and some stronger oversight or through some kind of third party um, climate advisory panel. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but but uh, you know, it's one thing to declare a target; it's another thing to achieve one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think going forward, so NMAX does publish their like emissions annually, like they have a kind of an environmental report that they do annually. But so I think we could absolutely, and we, I'm sure we will, um, look at those emissions, and you know, if emissions go up next year, we'll be like, hey, you know, you have this target. Why are your emissions going up? Um, but I mean, this campaign was honestly like it was it was quite a bit of work to go through kind of all the steps to get them to just to the net zero target. Um, so, yeah, I 100 percent what Joe's saying. Like we need to there needs to be a more structural way that NMAX is held to account on climate rather than just a local climate organization um, causing a ruckus about, about their climate performance. Okay. So with this, I mean, you, you, you said that a, a bunch of companies have already committed to going net zero. Uh, you mentioned that there's a bunch of oil sands companies that have um, uh, committed to going net zero. So have, have, have we won climate change? <laughs> no, no, for, for sure not. So what's, what's, what's sort of next on the, on, on the sites for the hub then? That's a good question. We're having mm -hmm. various debates. Um, because we're municipally focused, you know, we probably won't be aiming beyond our, our city boundaries. Um, we've had some initial discussions as to maybe a, a Calgary Stampede net zero target. Um, we always, and then that, just, that would be like a specific campaign, but we're every single day, the hub is doing various activities um, to try and push climate forward within the city. Um, and just to go back to the net zero, have we solved climate change? I think it's really, worth mentioning that um, there's a lot of concern about whether net zero is the appropriate um, metric for companies to, to take. Um, they, they would be relying in a lot of ways on offsets, which means basically buying carbon friendly activities outside of the company's purview, like say, um, you know, paying an Amazon uh, company not to chop down their, their Amazon trees, um, or, or uh, you know, building a solar plant in Arizona that otherwise wouldn't have been built. But the accounting for these things are, are very difficult to measure. Are you really paying for something that wouldn't have been built otherwise? Or are you just, you know, giving money to something that no matter what would have happened, would have, would have happened anyways? Um, you know, not cutting down a, a, a boreal a forest tree at this point. We don't know if that's carbon neutral or carbon positive because you know, our, our boreal forests are burning down anyway. So what if you save like, you know, 100,000 hectares of boreal forest and then it burns down the next year? What kind of carbon offset is that? And the reality mm -hmm. is, is we're gonna have to have absolute reductions in our um, carbon emissions. And so far what we haven't seen from many companies is commitments to, to, to um, eliminate either the products that they produce that they get burnt or, um, or the, 
the actions that they do to make their products like like say a cement plant that uh, you know has to produce carbon dioxide in order to produce its materials so um, lots of questions where this is this is going to be hard yeah the, so there's some companies I think that have made like pretty interesting um, like pretty aggressive commitments or um, novel like um, I think Microsoft um, I think they've committed mm-hmm. I think by 2030 they'll be carbon negative and then with the intention i think by 2050 they'll have re- they'll have removed enough carbon to have offset their entire historical carbon footprint yeah so, i mean we'll, we'll see that we yeah. <laughs> need more and i think with net zero um i think joe joe kind of hits it on the head like i think net zero can be appropriate and like i in kind of an uh idealized scenario of course it makes sense like you just need to have everything just needs to be net you need to have no net emissions coming out but you know if the accounting doesn't really work or say you yeah you buy a forest or buy the rights to like a forest that doesn't get cut down and then burns up anyways like there's lots of ways that offsets might not work so i think net zero kind of just it tries to accommodate that the last you know 10 15 20 percent might be really difficult to decarbonize and then their offsets or some other kind of mechanism might come into play. But if that offset mechanism gets abused, then yeah, I think we're going to have to move beyond net zero and look at um, metrics, like you say, like 100% clean, where you're just not producing any emissions at all. Um, But we'll have to see. Um, As far as kind of going forward with climate action, though, um, if so, if you look at the city of Calgary's carbon footprint, we're roughly kind of equal thirds. So one third is our like direct electricity usage. So, you know, for home heating, you know, running your dryer, stuff like that. Um, another third is um, natural gas usage. Um, sorry, another, yeah, sorry, is natural gas usage, um, which is also just for home heating predominantly. And then another third is um, vehicle fuels. So like gas, diesel, etc. So I think one of the reasons why um, NMAX, and I think we said this kind of in the first interview, why NMAX going net zero is so important is that um, there's a concept called fuel switching, where say you drive a car right now, your fuel is gas. If you start driving an electric car, then you're switching your fuel to electricity and then whatever fuels that electricity generation. So for fuel switching to make sense as a climate strategy, you need to have the clean electricity in the first place. So I think what's well, some of what's next. Everything. Sorry. Yeah. The electrify everything. Electrify um, everything. Kind of. So home heating has to be electric. Mm-hmm. Um, Transportation has to be electric. And that means we need a lot more electricity and we need to make sure our electricity is as green as possible. Exactly. Yeah. So I think a lot of what we could look at in the future, not necessarily like, I don't think the hub has any commitments to campaigns on this yet, but what we could look for in future campaigns is, um, you know, now if we're starting to get a lot, rack up a lot of wins on electricity decarbonization, now the next um, things to look at are encouraging fuel switching for vehicles and fuel switching or electrification, let's just say, for vehicles and electrification for home heating. So there's different texts for that. It's, I think that's a very good point that you raise about the, the electricity, because that's one of the big things that we hear a lot of people uh, making noise about when it comes to the conversation around electric vehicles is, well, you can switch to an electric vehicle, but you're still getting your, your energy from a, a, a dirty source. Um, and this, this, I think, effectively addresses that, that question. I'm curious, does the hub have any stance? Like one of the things that we saw, we just passed the one year anniversary on was the the major hailstorm in Northeast Calgary. Does the hub have any stance on uh, sort of mitigating 
the damages of uh, major weather events? Is, is that something that you're looking at at all? Or are you guys focused purely on the, the reducing the carbon footprint piece? Yeah, so the two sides you're looking at is mitigation and adaptation. So mitigation means reduction of emissions and adaptation means dealing with the, the situation that results from climate change. Um, uh, I, I would say we're interested in both sides, but I, I would say that the city itself has had maybe an, a, a bigger focus on adaptation. Um, you can see, especially with the flood mitigation that's come or flood adaptation that's come from 2013, that there's already been a big focus on that from the city. So it's, it kind of feels like we don't need to push as much on that. In fact, I think there's a segment of society, it's kind of like soft denialism that says, well, we don't have to mitigate because all we have to do is adapt to the new climate that we're creating. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's a concern with that because there's a certain point where you can't adapt. Like think about the fact like when um, uh, Houston had, you know, six feet of rainfall in 48 hours with that hurricane. How do you adapt to six feet of rain in, in, in 48 hours? Um, you know, we're, having, we're going into an unprecedented uh, heat wave next week. Um, we're going to be hitting, you know, unheard of numbers for, uh, for, for Southern Alberta. I, um, one colleague in, in Lethbridge said they're forecasting 41 degrees for Lethbridge next week. Uh, this is still early days for climate change, right? Like, it's not like we've solved the problem and, and we're at its worst. It's only going to get worse from now. Um, so how do you adapt to 46 degree weather in in India, how do you adapt uh, to, to that in California and eventually here? Like there is a, a, a limit um, to what we can adapt to. Well, I think I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this because one of the, one of the things that I've always kind of wondered about is while Calgary might be able to adapt to more extreme weather events and, and higher temperatures and all, all of that kind of stuff, to me, there's a very real question about, uh, and I, I think you raised it when you when you mentioned India. There, uh, there are there are no shortage of countries around the world that do not have the capacity for resiliency that we we enjoy here in the in in Calgary and Canada and Alberta. Um, is is there validity to the argument that if we just sort of, I don't know, put earplugs in or something? that uh, uh, we're still going to have to deal with the global problem when the global problem hits, because I, I feel like the people who are going to be in those areas are not going to be like, nah, it's cool, we'll stay here. Yeah, if you think anti-immigration um, sentiment's a problem now, like wait until there's like millions of climate immigrants all the time, right? Yeah, and climate refugees, I should say. Can we put the, to rest the idea that we're somehow safe? I think we saw that with COVID, you know, it won't happen here seemed to be the general sense and boy, did it ever happen here. Um, so let's look at the top, you know, five uh, weather related insurance events in Canadian history. So we've got Fort McMurray fire, Slave Lake fire, um, uh, the, um, the Calgary flood, and just recently, the, the Northeast hailstorm. Um, these are all like in the top five uh, events of, of insurance claims They're for the whole country. And they've all happened in Alberta in the last you know, decade and a, and a half. Um, 
if anything, we're much more susceptible than the rest of the country. And, and arguably because the weather's warming faster in the, the far north, and Canada's pretty far north, um, we are at higher risk than some other areas of the world. Is there, is there anything else you'd like people to know about what the, the climate hub's current uh, plans are, current goals are, how to get involved, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, if you want to talk about, uh, probably that last one is the most important thing. I mean, we are unapologetically trying to get as many people to step up and, and be counted as possible. So reach out to us. We, we thrive on our volunteers. Um, it, it, it is an organizational challenge to to get as many people doing as much stuff but if you're willing to step up and and lead if you're willing to um to get involved in especially in some of the we need t-shirt makers edward <laughs> we need we need people to make hats for us so we can sell it's really hard to, to raise money for climate in in uh in the city of calgary believe it or not so the two most valuable things that people have i think are time and money so if give us whatever is the lesser of your value or the, the you know if you if you can afford more time please volunteer for us if your time is valuable and you can afford to get rid of some money please give us money so that we can do the work that needs to be done yeah i'm not sure if i have if i have too much to add i think like um currently i think um the hub right now we have uh an elections node so they're kind of focused on um engaging council candidates and mayoral candidates on uh, the climate issues that we have. So we have some other positions beyond just the Max campaign. So we have building the green line is a position. Um, I think we have doubling the city's um, tree canopy. I'm sure there's some other, <laughs> other positions I'm missing, but um, we're kind of, uh, we have a sort of mini campaign inside that where we're organizing um, coffee with the candidate events um, there. So if, if um, you know, people want to get involved, I think this is a great way to kind of come in and wet your feet on it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I have much more to add, Joe. I think the time and money um, line is uh, a very succinct way of saying how, well, we, we do have a, how people can contribute. Well, one of the most successful campaigns that uh, we've seen in Alberta recently is the Defend Alberta Park sign campaign. And guess what? We're going to have election campaign signs soon. They're going to say, um, I want a free and, uh, free and fast climate action. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We're asking for $10 donations. We'll deliver it to your house. And mm -hmm. uh, you can... You can support us through your uh, through your lawn. It's going to be a, my a lot of signage. <laughs> yeah. there was already a lot of signage before the before the campaign started. But no, you know, it's, it's, well, I think one of the reasons why the Defend Alberta Parks campaign was so successful is you were seeing these signs like all over neighborhoods like Mount Royal in Calgary and you know University mm -hmm. Heights, where previously people probably presumed that their neighbors were hardcore conservatives, didn't give a shit about parks. Um, and suddenly, you know, you know, two out of three houses had defend Alberta park signs on their lawn. And, and I think everybody's like, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not like, I'm not crazy to think this way. And so we're hoping similarly that the climate signs will have that effect by allowing people to, to share their caring for the climate. And so that their neighbors can be less, um, reticent to, to come out of the climate closet okay um if people want to get in touch i mean we've just done this call to action uh for for people to donate their time or their money if they want to get in touch how do they do that yeah follow us on twitter follow us on facebook we have a website that's got lots of information about how to get involved either financially or 
or volunteer wise. Um, and so those are the best ways. And uh, mm. both Rob and I have a Twitter handles so you can follow as well. Yeah, of course you could DM, DM us for sure. I'd say liking, liking the hubs on Facebook page is a really good way. Um, that's kind of initially how I got um, involved with the hub is I think I went to kind of uh, hub events and like the page and then kind of over the course of the next year, the hub has this really had this really great um, program called um, a climate of change where a guy um, at the hub, Steve Bentley, he would do just a kind of a, a live podcast on Facebook with um, different guests. And then I would just see, like, I would just get the push notification from Facebook. Oh, climate hub is live. And I just started watching those. And then I think I commented asking if there was anything with NMAX and they mentioned, Oh, there's an NMAX campaign. And that's how, that's how I got in. Now, once you step up, we'll get you to work. Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming back on the show and giving us this uh, good news update. We've, we, we, we don't get many of those in Alberta these days, so it's very nice. Um, and uh, congr congratulations again. Uh, and I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. Um, if you don't mind, Dr. Or Dr. Joe, I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious just with the, the, you, you, you've done a very good job throughout the pandemic of, um, providing Twitter updates in regards to COVID numbers. Um, as an ER physician and somebody who's been watching this thing quite closely, how, how concerned should people be about Delta? You know, if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd be pretty relaxed. Um, I'm less relaxed today. Um, I don't like to make predictions. Um, and when I do, I want to be 100% sure that my prediction's right, because that's a good way. Of, <laughs> if you're wrong, you, you end up looking like a fool. But if you're right, you end up looking like a foreseer of the future. Um, I'll go out on the limb and I'll say that we'll be um, putting in new restrictions before the end of the summer. I'm basing that on the fact that... Uh, uh, Israel, who has a much higher double vaccination standard than we have. In fact, their double vaccine rate is the same as our single vaccine rate right now. Um, they just reinstituted a mask mandate today uh, after having their mask mandate um, rescinded for about a week. So they lasted a week uh, before the numbers were so high um, that, that they needed to put it back in place. So we're losing basically all restrictions, except for I think Calgary and Edmonton are going to continue their mask mandate for maybe five more days. And we're launching a major festival um, uh, a few days after we lose all those restrictions. Um, and Delta is circulating. So um, I, I, I wish I could, I really want this to be a good summer. We, you know, we've got travel booked to BC. We've got uh, uh, the kids want to go to camp this summer. Um, I like we're betting on the fact that this is going to work out well. Um, but, uh, but my concern level is, has gotten much higher in the last few days. Well, the, on the plus side, uh, that, that festival that I think you're referring to, people are, are known for their restraint there. So it should be fine. Uh. Well, you think about it, the people that are most likely to gather indoors without masks are two kinds of people. The youth who innately think they're immortal, right? That's why we send them to war. Um, and, and people who are um, most likely to be COVID deniers and therefore think it's not necessary to mask, not necessary to get a vaccine. Um, this is, um, yeah, we're setting the stage for, um, for some pretty major super spreader events. And I'm not even so worried about 
the stampede because I don't know exactly what the protocols are, but I imagine the stampede itself doesn't want a black eye as, as being the, the major super spreader event of, uh, of 2021. Um, but every single bar is open uh, indoors um, with no masks. Uh, so um, this is the time for people to get stupid. Um, there will be, I'm worried there'll be as much coronavirus swapped as there is chlamydia. Well, and I, I, I'm no expert, but my understanding is that it's, it's less effort to acquire coronavirus than it is chlamydia. I, I don't know. I heard it was airborne. <laughs> airborne chlamydia. Oh, my God. No, I'm talking about the coronavirus. Sorry. Yeah. Like, wow. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. That we should if, probably... if chlamydia has gone airborne, we've got <laughs> problems. <laughs> if you want Stampede to get a black eye, that's, that's how it gets it. Oh, that's a, that's a good note to end things on right there. <laughs> uh, thank you both again so much for, for coming on for your advocacy work. Uh, and uh, I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. We won't shut up. And that's it for another episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we'd ask you to please consider to sign up to be one of our uh, Patreon supporters at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdowneb. Uh, and if you uh, are listening to the audio version of this podcast, we'd also ask you to leave a rating and a review because that helps us get the podcast into the ears of more people. As always, we want to say a big thank you to our current Patreon supporters. Uh, and we also want to say thank you to everybody who is just listening to this episode today because it's, it's a privilege that you're choosing to spend your time listening to what we're trying to do here. So thank you.